Thanks for tuning in to Mysteries of the Mind, a podcast revealing the way our unconscious minds shape our lives. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Bader. Today, I want to talk about my work with a difficult patient, a patient that most therapists would never choose to work with, a patient whose prognosis seems now in retrospect to have been quite grim, a patient that therapists would call impossible. So this was many, many years ago. I was newly in practice, a beginner really, when my patient Eleanor consulted me for help with her depression. She was married and had one son, Alex, who was about eight years old at the time. Eleven months into the treatment, I took a vacation. When I returned, Eleanor was suicidal. She was suicidal on and off for the next year, calling me day and night, desperate, almost frantically self-destructive. I took all her calls. In order to help create a supportive therapeutic environment, I also began seeing Eleanor three times a week. She reported spending hours, quote, howling in pain, but made it clear that she would never accept hospitalization under any circumstances. So here I am, a new therapist, with a patient who was constantly calling me suicidal. I remember walking around chronically anxious, anticipating the next crisis, my worry level extremely high. I felt trapped and helpless. She'd calmed down a bit after speaking with me, but this was only a temporary reprieve. Now, here's something that's hard to admit for me or any therapist, I think. I walked around sometimes wishing that the patient would go ahead and successfully kill herself. In that way, <clears throat> taking this tremendous burden off my shoulders. In my worst moments, I found myself really not liking her and not liking myself for feeling that way. I'm not proud of these feelings, but my feelings of helplessness, guilt, and responsibility were suffocating me. I sought a consultation to get some help with this, what felt to me like impossible patient. Now, Eleanor was the oldest of three children. Her father was an alcoholic, and her mother, a chronically depressed woman, who spent large parts of each day alone in her room crying. There was such difficulty getting the mother's attention that the patient would write notes to her in the hope of eventually having her mother read them. Eleanor remembered that when she was about 10 years old, her mother came into her room in the middle of the night to give her a kiss. The patient had put on some acne cream and was self-conscious and so turned away from her mother. The next thing she knew, there was a loud blast from the next room. Her mother had shot herself in the head. Eleanor reports that she was told at the funeral not to upset her younger siblings. And she related also that her father directly blamed Eleanor for her mother's suicide. He told her it was her fault. As a result of my consultation, I was eventually able to create a moment in my work with Eleanor, <clears throat> which seemed to have a positive effect on her and which certainly helped me feel better. So here it is. I told her 
that it was impossible for me to think clearly and work effectively with her as long as suicide was a constant and immediate threat as it had been for the past year. I told her that I knew she was terribly depressed, but that somehow the threat of suicide had to be put on the back burner. And finally, I told her this, that if she did kill herself, I'd be very, very sad. It would be tragic. But that I would go on living, as would everyone else, but that tragically, she would just be dead. Now, this was hard for me to say and do because I myself had grown up wrestling with omnipotent feelings of responsibility for my own depressed mother and had typically gone out of my way to take care of unhappy women in my own life. And so this stuff with Eleanor was triggering me a lot. I felt responsible for her and tormented, tormented by guilt. So there are lots of ways to understand these processes and experiences. But one thing was painfully clear. Eleanor had enormous life-threatening survivor guilt. She felt that her rather innocuous rejection of her mother's kiss drove her mother to kill herself. She believed that simply by surviving, she was a murderess. And of course, this trauma and guilt would was very, were very exaggerated when the father explicitly blamed her. Here's what I figured out. Eleanor felt that she was supposed to be dead like her mother and that such a fate would serve her right given the fact that she had not only survived but had, in fact, felt tremendous hostility towards this neglectful and impaired mother. She felt omnipotently responsible for her mother, when in fact, she wasn't really responsible at all. She had understandably felt hostility towards the mother, but this had nothing at all to do with the mother's suicide. But then what was happening in the therapy between Eleanor and me? See, therapists can learn a lot about what's going on inside a patient by paying attention to what the patient is making the therapist feel. Sometimes a patient puts me in the role of a parent and repeats their childhood relationships in therapy that way. That's what we call transference. And if the therapist can figure it out and act and respond in ways that are healthier than the patient's parents originally did, then the patient's often relieved and feels safer to move forward in therapy. We call this transference testing. What Eleanor was doing with me was different, and understanding this helped me turn the therapy around. What was happening between Eleanor and me was what we call passive into active testing. Simply put, she was doing to me what her mother did to her. She was treating me and making me feel like a 10-year-old girl who was omnipotently responsible for her depressed, suicidal mother. What she had experienced as a passive victim of her parents' psychopathology, especially her mother's, she was now replaying in a way in which she was active and I was, in a sense, the passive object. So I was able to see clearly that in therapy, I had the role of the 10-year-old child and she was the suicidal mother. When a patient turns passive into active, the therapist is made to feel him or herself as if they're in the role of a child related to a parent. 
it's understandable that this would often feel quite terrible because parents have all the power. Children, on the other hand, are dependent and can't leave, and their ability to insulate themselves from the effects of a parent's psychology is very limited. So being put in the position of such a child is usually especially painful. And that's what I felt. I felt trapped, that my options were limited. I felt powerless, even though in some objective sense I wasn't. When a therapist feels helpless and trapped with a patient, there's almost certainly a passive into active enactment or reenactment going on. The result of my deeper understanding of what was going on was that I was able to intervene in a more helpful way. The key point here isn't just that the patient was turning passive into active and making me feel towards her what she felt towards her mother, but in so doing, the patient was testing me to see if I would indeed feel and act out the role she was assigning me. This is an example of what we call passive interactive testing. Now, let me elaborate a little further on these two types of testing. The first is transference testing, as I said, and that's easy to see. A patient of mine who had a father who was competitive with his son and always had to win every argument, um, the patient picked arguments with me to see, to test, if I too would have to compete and win. When I didn't, the patient's bias and pathogenic beliefs about men were disconfirmed, and the patient was able to become more friendly and intimate with other men. Or another patient, a woman, had a mother who was extremely narcissistic and who liked to have her daughter sit and attend to her when she put on her makeup every day. This patient then tested me to see if I too needed her admiration and attention, and when I didn't, she felt relieved and was able to develop a greater sense of self-confidence and pride in her own accomplishments. So these are transference tests. Eleanor was doing passive into active testing, however, and doing so in a way that was much more difficult for me to pass this test. She wasn't experiencing me like she experienced her mother, but was making me experience her as if I was the 10-year-old daughter and she was the crazy suicidal mother. I found that the children of crazy parents often do passive into active testing. So how would I pass or fail Eleanor's passive into active testing? Well, for a year, I failed because I acted too much like she did as a child. Namely, I felt responsible, guilty, worried, and resentful. I experienced and was living out her survivor guilt. See what I mean? I was the one who felt guilty about failing at my job, which seemed to be to take life-or-death responsibility for Eleanor. But then I managed to pass her test. How? By, in effect, communicating to her that I was not the 10-year-old daughter of a depressed mother, but the therapist of a depressed woman. By telling her that her constant suicidality was getting in the way of my thinking and interfering with our work, and that she had to find a way to better contain these feelings, I was communicating to her that I would no longer feel or act as if I was omnipotently responsible for her life and death, and further, that my life would not be ruined if tragically she did kill herself. See, this not only relieved me of the stress 
about her suicidality, but it also reassured her. You see, Eleanor didn't really want to ruin my life. She wanted me to understand how hard her life had been with a suicidal mother, and she secretly wanted me to somehow feed back to her a healthier way to cope. She certainly wanted me to understand her suffering, but also she wanted me to learn, to help her learn, that she could have some choice, some freedom to act like an adult. And that's exactly what she did, in fact, learn. By my acting like an adult, she could identify with my strength and act more like one herself. I went out of my way to be sure Eleanor didn't feel I was blaming her for doing anything harmful to me in any way. Instead, I would tell her something like this. Eleanor, I can see how hard, how torturous it must have been for you as a child, worried all the time about your mother, feeling responsible for something you had no control over and that wasn't your fault. Eleanor gradually began to get better. She saw how she was treating her own son, somewhat like her mother had treated her, and stopped doing it. She soon stopped calling me, and the pressure around her suicidality lessened. What I like about understanding situations like this in terms of passive interactive testing is that when a patient is putting pressure on you or making your life difficult as a therapist, you can easily make a shift in your mind, you see, in your understanding and say to yourself something like, oh, so this is how the patient must have felt growing up. And this increases your empathy. And also, you can then have a roadmap helping you to do the opposite and a clear way of seeing if you're right. That is, if you pass the test, the patient starts to get better in various ways. And that's ultimately the only thing that matters. Thanks for listening to Mysteries of the Mind podcast. To learn more about how your unconscious mind really works, please tune in next time. And be sure to visit Dr. Bader's website at michaelbader.com.